0: Dior Talks. Talks.
1: I am so excited to say that this episode of Dior Talks Feminist Art interviews the incredible French artist, Eva Jospin. On the occasion of the Dior Autumn Winter 2021-2022 haute Couture Show presented at the Rodin Museum, Jospin collaborated with Maria Grazia Curi by installing a 40-metre-long immersive gallery entirely hand-embroidered by the Chanakya Ateliers and the Chanakya School of Craft in India based on a unique design by the artist. The work, Chambre des Soirs, The Silk Room, is a dual reference to the Indian-inspired embroidery room at the Palazzo Colonna in Rome, and to Virginia Woolf's feminist manifesto, A Room of One's Own. In this episode, we discuss Jospin's collaboration with Dior, the symbolism of her piece, Chambre des Soirs, the history of textiles, links between the Parisian and Roman cultures through art, and her experience working with embroidery. My name is Katie Hessel. I am an art historian and curator from London and I run the Great Woman Artists Instagram account. And today I am so delighted to be speaking with Eva Jospin. So, Eva, firstly, so many congratulations. Your work, Chambre de Soir, The Silk Room, provided the setting for Dior's most recent haute couture show at the Musee Rodin. And I have to say, it just looked mesmeric, like this glittering, immersive gallery come forest, come temple, which over 40 metres long must have been such an immersive, all-encompassing and magical experience for those witnessing Maria Grazia's Maria Grazia Curie's latest show. So I'd love to just start off by talking about this work. I mean, could you describe it for us and your vision for how you wanted to you wanted the space to feel?
0: Well, you know, the, I w- we'll probably talk about this later, but the, the, the initial project w- was big, but then I met Maria Grazia and everything became huge, <laughs> and not big anymore. So I had to adapt myself to a 40 meters long setup and to try to understand what would be uh, the promenade you know like the the wandering of the people walking in front of it and the size of your body and uh, the moving images of your of of the embroidery while you're walking in front of it so I I wanted to try to find a rhythm and some sequence that will move uh, with you so it would start with a grotto and go to a forest and then a sort of a a fountain or or a temple and then a cenotaph and then again a forest. And during the show, of course, the models were moving in front of the of the image of the, the embroidery. And it was the same kind of, of motion I was trying to find, you know. So first was to understand what would be the scale of the of each element and the rhythm and the changes between one element to another.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just looked incredible in the show. You know, you see these models kind of almost glittering in the space. It felt so kind of hazy and moody at times. There were so many kind of different feelings in the space. I mean, did you, did you think about the kind of aura of the space before putting it up?
0: When we started working on the architecture with Studio Bétac, uh, I realized that uh, my first, my original product was uh, Chambre de Soie, which is a room, you know. Yeah. But then I had to work on the size of a, of a, of a gallery yeah. in a, an, an unconstructed palazzo yeah. <laughs> somewhere or in Versailles, you know. It's just the size that is not exactly a room, but more like a, um, an incredible gallery in some ancient palace, mm. you know. So I had to, to... Yes, I had this idea that it was this kind of volume. And I knew that... Um, the craziness between changing the scale of the hand and each detail of the embroidery when you get close to it to such a big, big space, this changing scale would be, would be quite amazing because it's always the way I work also for other uh, kind of sculpture I do.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating in a sense that you know, from far away it could almost appear like some kind of abstract painting and then when you get up close you kind of realise these pockets of forests, lianas, rocks, waterfalls that kind of unfold in front of your eyes. I mean, this kind of utopian landscape. I mean, can you talk to us a bit about the symbolism of the imagery that you put into this work?
0: Well, there's a lot of inspiration that uh, helped me to construct this work, but uh, the first inspiration, of course, was this uh, room of embroider- Indian embroidery at uh, uh, Palazzo Colonna. Yeah that I saw while I was in a residency in Rome at Villa Medici. I was uh, immediately fascinated by this room, completely embroidered by with silk and, uh, and gold chain, you know. I mean, it, it's really crazy. So that's the first inspiration. And uh, for this specific work, I've been paying a lot of attention to several painters, especially Vuillard, for the construction of uh, his colors and the way he leaves uh, uh, he works with the background and the background is always coming in the front and so I can give you some more details about this specific technique he's got and that impresses me a lot and I was very happy to understand how to create this kind of vibration with the, with the, the background, the silk ba- background in the embroidery and there's also of course Hubert Robert which is a, let's say a French version of uh, of a lot of Italian vision like uh, the panini capriccio or this kind of inspiration you know so it's the idea is that you will maybe like invent a fake palazzo and then add a real ru- ruin or a real palazzo in front of it and you will mix up those little scenes that go in the italian painting capriccio capriccio <laughs> and uh, but it's not the coffee it's not the coffee uh, and then <laughs> And then uh, it's like the ancestor of uh, Photoshop, but it's painter that are creating this little landscape where you have fake and real. And it's a vision of, of, um, of uh, a, 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 let's say, an, um, a vision that, that is a fantasy of maybe the past or maybe the future. You don't know exactly. And Hubert Robert did a lot of paintings like that, inspired by Italian painting. So that was another inspiration. And of course, I've been looking at some some uh, German painter like uh, uh, Frederick or, or uh, the, all this movement that is also dear to my heart. And I was looking at the way they they, they have this uh, symbolism with uh, with nature that is very interesting to me too.
1: Yeah, it just feels like such a kind of. I guess, emotive time to be working on such a you know, natural kind of subject in the sense that, you know, this is the first horticultural show in over one year and a half that is presented in front of a live audience. And it's almost, I kind of get the sense of this idea of kind of regeneration and rebirth. I mean, did that ever cross your mind?
0: Yes, well, I think every single new project or exhibition we're doing now has this importance and has this this weight. I also think that it was particularly interesting to to display such an artwork but at at the same time an art craft because the thing is that it's not only my vision it's 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 like so many people uh, uh, helping me to create this vision and so it's it's a collective experience actually because of course I, I it's really like the best way uh, artists were working with artisans in, in, in the past and it's something we did again. And it's amazing because it's true that for a long time an artist will give the, we call it in French cardboard, but it's like the sketches, the, the direction, and, and then he will find some people to, to like the best artisan to, to make this vision alive, you know. And that's what we did again. And I, I guess the emotion that I could felt uh, uh, when the people were watching it, it's because it's a word that they know. Because most of the things we go to see in in foreign cities, when you, you you're a tourist and you go to Venice, you go to I don't know Barcelona, Paris, or it's because those words were created this way, you know. And we're and we know it perfectly. We know exactly what it is to put so many energy to build a cathedral or a, a church or whatever, you know. And and it's. Just that we don't construct the world this way anymore, in a very different way, and 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 when you see that, this kind of uh, uh, master. Piece, art, craft—done again. It's an emotion because it's something we really, we really know. It's our environment, actually.
1: Yeah, it just—it fe- feels so tactile as well. You know, I, I mean, I, I hadn't seen it in real life, but just kind of looking at images you, when you get up close. I mean, there's just so much kind of tactility to it. And I think, as well, after all this time, we kind of want that sort of tangible thing to hold on to.
0: Yes, it's—you uh, know—it's very funny because. Um, there is more than hundred and fifty-five colors. Wow! Then when they, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then um, they, at the end, they they had to um, dye the colors. And every time they were dyeing on a different material because they used uh, silk, cotton, linen, and jute. And every time they were they were dyeing those colors, they, they, the tone will change a little. Would change a little bit. So at the end. Uh, it was uh, f- more than 400 colors to complete the landscape you know and uh, and there is over a 150 variation of different embroidery techniques that have been used so uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's really like gra- it, it's really crazy and if I think of the way I started it uh, it's very interesting because when I started this, uh, when I wanted to do this project, it was like already in 2017. Yeah. When I had this uh, this vision of, of uh, an embroidery room done with my drawings, uh, I was at Villa Medici at that time and I met uh, um, an embroiderer and at the same time, in the same year as me, there was this uh, restorator of uh, fabric called Stéphanie Ovid. And I showed her the piece. And so from the beginning, it was like a work that I knew that I wouldn't do alone, of course, because I I knew it was a project that I wouldn't do myself, with my own hands. And I had to really like to to push my vision, but have an environment of people that had uh, like an interest in the project, and since the beginning, I had uh, with me Stephanie Ovid, who helped me a lot to develop the first uh, prototype that was uh, 50 centimeters by 50. And I had an, um, an embroiderer called Marguerite came to my studio for three weeks in December. And, um, and so uh, since the beginning, uh, you had this common energy in the project to, to accomplish this vision. And then it became of course, completely more crazy than what I imagine, because <laughs> uh, we started to work with Shanakya and yeah. then it was like so many people uh, doing, doing it and, and, and such a huge energy to, to accomplish it in a very short time and it was really, really amazing.
1: Yeah. So I should add for the audience, the Chanaka Ateliers and the Chanaka School of Craft in India is, is a, a huge collaborators of Maria Grazia Curie and actually the Judy Chicago, a fantastic couture show a couple of years ago. Uh, she also collaborated Absolutely. with them, with them. But I'm fascinated by this idea of textiles as well, because, I mean, either your work is, you know, uh, so kind of unlike this in a way I mean you very much concentrate on sculpture Uh, I particularly know your work on cardboard especially and this seems like a kind of total departure I mean tell me about your experience working with textiles I mean was this something that was new for you Oh, yes, it was completely
0: new for me. Uh, But I think this work is really really more linked to my relation to drawing than to my relation to sculpture. Yeah. Even though, in a way, it's also a 3D work because each uh, stitch have a kind of a, you know, and you have like branches and waterfall that are kind of 3D because they have a volume when you see them on on the fabric. Uh, But, uh, yes, I think... Uh, it's linked to my relation to drawing and maybe to painting because yeah. when I was studying in fine art school, I was painting at that time and I completely stopped just after Les Beaux-Arts de Paris. I, I, when I graduate, I stopped painting and I started a, a, a journey and a and a, and a work in, in around sculpture. And I think I don't want to paint anymore, but I'm very interested to the colors and to um, a vision that is always like next to painting and I always say sometimes i not always but sometimes I say that in a way I'm a painter who does who do sculptures and I think if you look at the cardboard uh forest that I do they are framed like a painting and it's a paint it's a, it's a vision that is a frontal vision which is the, the the vision you have in front of painting and then you have other works that you turn around and then they really have like uh the the 3 d vision that you can turn all around it, but most of my work are frontal, and in a way it's it's a relation very big and st- and straight relation to to painting And the other things that I really like with this project uh, with embroidery is that uh, the embroidery is the it's really like the end of the embroiderer going on the canvas and uh, if something goes wrong, you can undo it exactly yeah. like in painting. You can uh, remove or add something that will change what you're doing. So there is always like the possibility to to come back on uh, what you just did. And in French, there is this beautiful word used by a painter. When you do something that you don't like on your canvas, you will change it. And this is called a repentie. Uh, repentir, okay, which is a very religious word. In English, it will be to repent, you know, so it's very religious, but it's an, a way to always make your work moving until the end, you know, and that's what I like with embroidery, is that you can always do and undo. So it's it's really, really close to uh, uh, also the work I do in in, in sculpture, because when you use a, a cheap material and an easy material like cardboard, if you don't like it, you will take it off, do it again, and there is this possibility to always, like, adapt your vision and adapt mm-hmm. uh, your hands to what you want to have at the end, you know. And uh, and the other things, too, is that uh, I think in my work, I really work, like, I love to do big-scale sculpture to, and to have, like, a, a really, like... Um, an opposition between the huge uh, size and uh, the amount of little details, okay? And so when you have to, when you look at it, you, you really lose this, your, yourself between the, the, what you see, uh, what it represents. And then, as you said, very, very, um, I, I mean, uh, as you said before, uh then it's kind of abstract because you get in mm. the in the in the material and 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 you don't see the representation anymore and i think like with the embroidery it's really uh exactly the sense that you have because you can feel the hand you can imagine someone sewing and an, an embroidering doing each little stitch uh on on the on the on the on the, on the, the artwork and then, uh, have like this huge representation. And this is th- like these two, two things come together. I think they are very interesting. Yeah.
1: And I mean, what I find fascinating is the fact that you never. I mean, apart from maybe Palazzo Colonna, but it's difficult to see textiles on this scale, generally, I find, especially when it's sort of this almost kind of masterpiece come kind of painting. I mean, I'm fascinated by the maybe political angles of textiles as well and how, you know, when you often see work on the scale. It's often fresco or it's painting or something. And I mean, was there kind of a political aspect of the textile? I mean, textile has this kind of deep history, especially kind of associated with women's work. But as we saw with someone like Judy Chicago, she actually kind of claims that imagery and that material back to something of kind of protest.
0: Yeah, there is this dimension, but it's a very European dimension, actually, because in Europe, this kind of, of work, is, a, is, is associated to, to woman, woman craft, you know, and yeah. not even woman art, but really like woman craft. And yeah. of course, doing it in such a proportion is a way to give some nob- nobility of, uh, yeah. on, on, on this thing, you know, because it's really like going on the field of men because they always did the big scale work. Yeah, uh, but with this special special technique. But this is a very European point of view because if you go in India and 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 that's where it was made, uh, the brothers are only men. So you see, it's so it's so funny because when you compare to different culture, you can see that the imaginary, what it represents for us, would have no sense for Indian. Uh, public because they will will not associate that to women because it's only men that, that are doing this this embroidery wow. so you see it's so oh. it's so so funny when you like it gives also the idea that the work of art of course can be political but at the same time must be really open because if you uh, project your work in another culture They will don't, they, they will not respond the same way because they don't have the same background and the same history and it doesn't represent the same thing. So they will judge something else and they will judge maybe like the feelings that they, they have in walking around this piece and, and maybe they will judge, I don't know, the, um, the connection between an Indian technique and a European representation Mm. with those temples, with, with this kind of forest, with the colors that come from my, my love for VR which is uh, something even else, and maybe they will pay more attention to what it brings uh, in turn of uh, of uh, inca- of, uh, of relation and encounter between a technique and and and. And, and uh, a European or a French artist, than than a political point of view on woman craft or woman art, you know.
1: It's fascinating to hear about this. I mean, it, you're you're t- completely right. But just the fact that it was kind of at the Musée Rodin, which is kind of famously male.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I had this question about about Rodin, which of course is a, is an artist that I I admire, and it's of course yeah. because it's such powerful and such an energy but it's true that when I was a student when I started my 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 work and my my yeah my research uh rodin or picasso couldn't be models for us women because there were this this image of uh ogres you know in the art and I couldn't <laughs> do anything about it you know so I could w- look at the work uh and the work could be an influence and something of course I have uh, I have uh, watched carefully but the life of those men couldn't be something for us women so that's why mm-hmm. uh on my um like on my early years I had to to um to uh hold myself to other kind of influences and one of them was the 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 room of one's own of Virginia Woolf because yes. uh I think like young, young boys who want to embrace uh, uh, the, uh, a career, uh, well, let's say, not say a career because you don't even know if you will have a career when you start, but th- they want to embrace the direction and the life of the arts, you know, they will maybe look at Picasso or maybe they will look at Rodin, even though it's, uh, it's uh, maybe young people are not looking at them anymore. But, and they will probably read a uh, letter to a young poet from Rilke that I read too, but then if you're a woman, it's really not enough because uh, th- there's so many things that you will have to to deal with, and and you need some some woman uh, to show you a certain direction, which is uh, what I found in this precious book, uh, a Rooms of One's Own from Virginia Woolf, because she was like really remembering to the audience because it was a conference actually, this work, this book. Uh, She really wanted to remember to all the people uh, listening to her that uh, for women, uh, most important is to find a space, uh, to have a safe space to work, you know, and that the woman is always like in the domesticity, in the house, with the children, with the husband, with the family, with the friends, uh, and always um, attached to 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 uh, to the house, you know. And that first thing, if you want to create, is just to have a room of your uh, of your own because it's the you can close the door and you can start to work and forget that you're a woman because this is the idea, you know. It's just like when you work, of course, like men or women when you're completely concentrating what you do uh you're a body in motion to just realize what you have in your head and you don't really think you're a man or a woman you're just like you're like okay my hands can do that my muscle can hold this and and you're more a body than a woman or a man you know but for that for women we need first to find a space for that and uh uh, that can let us uh, this uh, this possibility. So that's why it mm. was such an important book for me. And Rodin uh, is a great art- artist, of course, but absolutely not an example because nothing th- that he <laughs> did in his life can yeah. be an example for a young woman studying a uh, fine arts school, you know? Yeah.
1: Totally. I mean, what I love about this work is you're kind of marrying so many parallels, not just kind of, you know, these these kind of greats like Virginia Woolf, like Rodin or, you know, Volleyard and Virginia Woolf in a way. But also you're marrying kind of architecture and textiles together. You're kind of putting this embroidery as a kind of room. But also I'm fascinated by this idea that you are also marrying Roman and Parisian cultures together, Mm -hmm. which obviously you as a Parisian artist and Maria Grazia Curie as a Roman designer, but working in Paris, I find absolutely fascinating. I mean, how did you marry these two cultures together?
0: But because, uh, you know, there is a, in, it's, it's very funny because it's true that this, this work was completely inspired by Rome and by my, my, my residency in Rome. And I think Italy and France has always looked to each other. Well, let's say that France started to look to Italy before Italy looked to <laughs> us because they started really like the culture is so long and so rich. I think for a long time, they really didn't have to look at us because we were not that interesting. But I think like all Europe did this, uh, like the Roman uh, were completely linked to the Greek. And, and, yeah. and Greece culture became a part of the, Indian, the, the Roman culture, of course. But I think then yeah. all Europe has to refer to Rome because it's the, uh, the journey to Italy. And that's how Villa Medici was created by, by uh, Louis XIV uh, because they wanted to the, the, the French artists that were supposed to come back and, and do some work for the royal palace and for all the castles uh, for the royalty in France to have a good formation and to go to see the master where they were because, of course, the work were not traveling and you didn't have any pictures at that time. So the only possibility was to do this famous journey. And most of the painter, Mm. but not only from France, from Spain, from Holland, from England, did this journey in Italy because it was the only way to have a proper formation and to see the masters. So I guess uh, this relation for France to Italy has always been very, very strong. And I guess also the Italian have a a love for France. We have a good way to conserve what we have. We have less than the Italian, but there is a big sense of conservation about the arts uh, in France. And I think most of the Italian really admire that because they, they, they see that they have archaeology, they have so many church, so many palace, too much actually. And it's kind of difficult. <laughs> no, but it's too much to, to conserve yeah. properly. We have less. Yeah, yeah, so we yeah. can we can right. conserve it You're better, right. you know. And so I think Italians sometimes say, like, oh the French they're they're very good. And it's true that we're in a way we're better to conserve the the last we have, you know, but but they have so much more. And when you live just one year in Italy it's crazy the amount of, of things that you have to see. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, endless. Really, like, you could spend your life in Italy and not see everything that w- there is to see there. It's so rich and so crazy, and it's really like a forest of art, you know, really. Like, you lose yourself inside. And, and it's why uh, this uh, Silk Room... In, in Palazzo Colonna is a masterpiece, but it's not that well known because there is so many masterpieces that it's a quiet one, you know, <laughs> because the mm. old, old that yeah. you have like, yeah, I have so many other others before that one that will be noticed. And that's, I think, what we have in common with, with Maria Grazia is that she really loves. Um, um, her culture and she really knows very well all the story of embroidery and she knew very well this room before before we met so it was also like a a recognition like do you know do you know this place yes of course i love it well i have a project (laughs) amazing you know it was just meant to be because she was probably the only designer in the world who could see (laughs) precisely what is the embroidery room at Palazzo Conola because she knows it perfectly you know so it's just yes it's the encounter of two culture and uh, and uh, and and it's really nice because now she's an Italian in Paris it's really great that we met
1: yeah no it's perfect and i mean you mentioned earlier this uh, your inspiration of via you know this idea that you looked at his coloring again a kind of key Parisian uh, artist who very much uses that kind of palette of France as well. That's what I find, found incredible was the fact that you're using a kind of grand Roman scale and then kind of employing these French colouring.
0: Yeah, well, <coughs> um, uh, Vuillard uh, is amazing for the colours, but he's also amazing in the way he builds the colours on the canvas because he's always oh. using... Um, there is always a background canvas with a with a simple color. It can be like a beige or a light brown, you know. And then you yeah. will find this color uh, uh, as a reservation uh, that will uh, be a part of the pattern of the of uh, of uh, I don't know the dress of a woman. It can be a shadow under uh, a cup on the table, and he will build this. And it becomes a a proper image of camouflage, you know, because you don't really, it it creates a vibration in the painting because it's really like painted like a camouflage because the background come come back always in front, you know. And this special technique that he has, I really wanted to use it for the embroidery because you can feel the fabric that is behind and it's always there actually. But it's mixed to the colors of the, the silk in the stitch, and so you always find it and lose it, and find it and lose it. So it's not only the colors he used, but it's also the way he 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 always leaves some some parts that uh, that lets appear the, the the background, and that's what I did with the embroidery and um, the Vuillard painting um it's also a vision not all of them but some of them a vision of domesticity so yeah it's, it's a room most of the time and then you and there's a confusion between the walls uh, between the the, um, the dress of the lady and uh, and it's also a vision of of intimacy of domesticity and there's and fabric and, and the way the fabric and the pattern on the fabric will be such an important part of the painting is also um, a vision of fashion because this is the mm. way it works, you know. So I think this this specific painter uh, has more than colors to, to uh, it's also colors. It's also being in, inside. It's also the, the dresses, the pattern on the fabric. Uh, the way he works the o- his own canvas as a fabric in a way you know, because you and so it I, it sounds uh well it always fascinated me a lot, so I was very glad to kind of uh, uh have a, a real attention to the way he built his painting to uh to steal a little bit because, you know, like, yeah. all the artists are stealing all the time from so many people.
1: Oh my goodness, that's art history, that. yes. And I mean, we said earlier, you know, your practice, usually you're working with cardboard and you kind of construct these incredible forests from these. I mean, how did this process, working with Dior, working with Maria Grazia, working with the Chanakya, how did this challenge you? I mean, did it open up your eyes to a new side of art that you maybe had not yet experienced?
0: Yes, absolutely. It was. It was really, I mean, it was really amazing because I think uh, like Maria Grazia knew my work um, uh, on a totally different field and she had such uh, trust because I've been working on this uh, this uh, this prototype with, uh, with my friend Stephanie Ovid uh, and, uh, and with uh, Marguerite, the embroiderer um, that came in the studio to realize it, but it was 50 centimeters on 50, you know. It's just really wow. small. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I said, yes, I have this project. I'm not afraid of uh big scale uh installation. It's true that I have uh an experience with them. It it was never that big, but um I have an experience that with that, you know. Uh but then she, she completely trusted me, trusted me. It's it's um It was quite a challenge, actually, because it could have been, uh, you know, a real nightmare. But then I had, uh, I think I was really well prepared and I had really the right people around me. And then, um, Mm. and then Shanakya, they started to show me more and more. At first, we had like uh, things like how to interpret the drawing because they had the drawings. So they knew the forms. They had the, they had all the colorization. So they knew the colors and they knew where to put them. But then which stitch and how do you do it? So how do, you, yeah. how do you feel the drawing? So I told them each line of the drawings must be the direction of the stitch. You have to follow the line. So when it's horizontal, you have to put the stitch in horizontal. When it's vertical, you have to put the stitch in vertical. And you always have to feel the, 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 the pattern. In this way, following the lines, you know, and this, and every time you have a lines that change direction, the stitch must change direction with the lines, and so this is what I said to them, and after, and they they really understood it perfectly, and then when they started, I told them, much variation there is, uh, better it is, so go ahead, I mean, don't be afraid to change, and to have a lot of variation, and they, I mean, they did it like even more than I could expect, you know. <laughs> and when I saw the level of variation they were, they, were, they were doing, it was amazing. And I think for them, I hope, but I think it is like that because I've been talking a lot after the project with, with, uh, with Karishma and, and other people around. And this is very interesting because usually they work for, for great Uh, brand they're doing dresses they're doing those amazing things and you have a lot of amateurs that recognize that that uh, indian embroidery is an exceptional art craft you know and it's and it's tradition as deep as our uh, embroidery tradition in europe you know but then putting them in the light as only like just for the the technique and 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 Mm. my vision is really like uh, taking off everything that represents embroidery in our head, it, which is the clothes, you know, or I don't know, of, uh, of decoration fabric. And it's like it becomes yeah. a, a painting, you know. And I think it was for them also an occasion to show the talent they have and the skills they have. So that's why I guess they, they put so much heart inside of it and they did so many variation, and they really like they they went beyond my expectation, and they did something absolutely yeah. crazy. And this is them, you know, it's really them.
1: Oh my gosh! And so, what were your initial reactions when you first saw it in the space? How did you feel? So the first pin- panel I saw was a
0: ten meter long panel by three meters fifty that they displayed on the floor, and only on the floor it was so huge and beautiful. And it was a, an incredible emotion. Really, you have to move to, to embrace the work, you know. And so it it it's yeah, it's renew your your look, and your vision every time you move, you know. And that's why I like that.
1: Amazing. Well, Eva Jospin, thank you so much for speaking with me today. As this is Dior Talks Feminist Art, we do always ask our guests uh, the closing question of who is your feminist hero. Ah. <laughs>
0: Um, well, I had, when I was young, I had two heroes and I don't know if they were really feminist or not, but I was completely fascinated by, uh, Marguerite Duras and, uh, Colette. So writers, you know?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Eva Jospin, thank you so much for coming on Dior Talks today. Thank you. Thanks a lot.